to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's a, it's a general rule that when you find a part of Scripture that seems offensive, art or your mind is bothered, it's probably time to pay attention. When there's something in it where you go, ooh, I don't know about that, it's maybe, quite possibly, God saying, hey, do I have your attention now? Because I've got something to address with you. And so this, this section is, of Scripture is one of those that, um, for me personally, and I'm going to trust for us corporately, is one of those passages where it says, God is saying, hey, do I have your attention now? Because I've, I've got something to address in your heart, in your lives, in your marriage, in how you conduct yourselves outside of the family of God as you go out into the ministry places. How you conduct yourself privately as a, as a Christian. And so this morning, I want us to pay attention closely to what God say to us in this section of Scripture. So would you stand? We are going to read starting at chapter 6, verse 11, and reading through... Uh, 7 verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your heart. Hear Paul's, Paul's love for them and just laying the ground for setting it up for some hard words. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As a teenager, I loved, and there's still part of that flesh and memory that still is very much alive. I loved ACDC. There's certain times when certain beats come on. I can give the full lyrics. 
I, I, I can share them and I can rock on with ACDC. And, but there was something about when I would be singing those lyrics, when my mom would walk into the room, there'd be the, huh? I'm not singing that song anymore. And there was something that I know about singing those lyrics that would have a direct impact on my heart. Uh, my eyes, my thoughts, the way that I viewed relationships, the way that I viewed people, or the way that I should act. And in this passage, this is one of those sections that speaks to my youth. It also speaks to my my 50s, and it's going to speak to my 60s, and my 70s, and my 80s, and as long as God keeps me alive, this passage is going to speak to that as well. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 is one of the, uh, it's kind of the heart of this passage, and it's, it's one of these, these sections that it's not hard to understand, and it's often applied when it comes to dating, Right? It comes to, it's applied when it's talk to marriage, talking about marriage. But the reality is, 2 Corinthians 6.14, in this context, is not directly talking about dating or marriage. However, it does have impacts. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The reality is, this passage has the potential to really rile us up us go whoa 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 back off i'm okay so what we probably need to do right now is do a little bit of personal inventory are there areas in your life where you know that you are a dabbler you love to kind of get on to the fringe of things and play in the fringe of what is considered holy and what is considered unholy. And you like to say, no, 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 Paul. Leave that area alone. I'm okay. Are there certain areas in your life where you can say, man, this is definitely light. This is definitely dark. This is the zone where I love to play in. And I think I'm okay. But in reality, you're not. This passage is one that if we feel a little bit triggered, we probably need to pay real attention to. So let's see if we can make sense of what what is Paul saying to the church in Corinth about this not being yoked, connected with unbelievers. Let's see what, let, let's look at what, what is the real problem going on here and what, what is the solution that Paul gives to us and ultimately, how, how do we take action? So here's the first thing. What, what is the real problem that Paul is addressing? To understand why Paul writes what he does, we need to understand what is the underlying problem that is going on. And there's a lot of problems, if you look at this book, a lot of problems that Paul is addressing here. Some of the people in the church were not happy with Paul. Paul had confronted these people. And while most had repented, there was still some 
who were not accepting Paul's authority. There were some in the church who were outwardly, vocally opposing Paul's authority within the church. And of course, there were things that were really sensitive after the conflict. And so Paul's addressing right now interpersonal conflict and a misunderstanding about the true nature of the Christian life. Interpersonal relationships and what is the true nature of the church. But underneath that problem, what Paul was addressing is an even deeper problem. I don't know if you've ever had that in relationships where you thought you were addressing the problem, but in reality, there's a problem underneath the problem. There's really, you got to do a little bit more digging and a little bit more prying and addressing really what is the problem. It's the sin beneath the sin and the problem that causes all, all the other sins. And so what is it? And verse 12 tells us, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own, what is the word he uses there? Affections. You are restricted by your own affections. What does Paul mean there? It's easy to think that the problem is another person or maybe the problem is, are the circumstances that are around, but Paul goes a lot deeper and says, no, let's go deeper. The problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. And that's often the problem in our conflicts. The problem is in here. The problem is their affections. They have ultimately a heart issue. They have a heart problem. George Guthrie in his commentary on this section says, so the problem with the Corinthians is what we might call a heart problem. Their heart lacks commitment to Paul and his mission. They have become emotionally entangled with someone or something that has dampened their affection for the apostle and his ministry. They've become entangled with someone or something in such a way that it dampens their affection for Paul and his ministry. The problem is never really the problem. And so we need to think about that even on our our interpersonal relationships. Man, you have a conflict with somebody? What is really the problem going on here? Okay, now let's get really to what is the problem going on here. Let's go deeper and really get to the the heart of the issue. Whenever we have a conflict or an interpersonal tension or any kind of sin, the problem goes deeper than we actually think. The real problem is our heart. So what do we do about the problem? We need to move on to the solution to the problem. And Paul gives us the solution in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What in the world does this mean? It's a word picture. It's a word picture about what happens when when believers allow themselves to be entangled with influences that dampen their affections for Christ. It's a word picture that shows us what happens when we become tied to things or people that dampen our affection for Christ. 
If if you're familiar with the Old Testament, it should bring about all kinds of images of mixing things that should not be mixed. The cross-breeding of livestock in the Old Testament is a picture of this. Or sowing a field with two different kinds of seeds. Or wearing two claws made of two different types of clothing. It's, it's not meant to go together. So the closest parallel comes from Deuteronomy chapter 22. You should not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Why not? Why in the world wouldn't you? Well, there's at least two reasons. First, the ox was a clean animal in in ceremonial ceremonial terms it was clean it was clean but the donkey was unclean so god laid out just said hey the ox is a clean clean animal that you can you can raise that you can have fellowship with one that you can eat from but this donkey this burrow is an unclean animal why god did that i don't know But in His wisdom, He has given us a picture of a clean and an unclean. So those two should not be plowing the field. They shouldn't be yoked together doing this. But there's there's another reason. The second reason, Warren Wearsby kind of points this out, from a practical point of view, the animals have different temperaments. And their being yoked together could create all kinds of problems. An ox is not a donkey. And a donkey is not an ox. It's going to create all kinds of different problems from a temperament standpoint. It's easy easy enough to understand that your affections for God and God's people are really compromised by influences in your life that are unclean and that have different ways of looking at the world. Paul's not saying get rid of all those other relationships. Paul's not saying here, as a missionary of God, saying, man, do not hang out with unbelievers. He's not saying that whatsoever. He is saying that, however, that we are influenced by others. And we should guard those influences. We should protect our hearts so that our affections for Christ are not pulled from God and from God's people. Go back, think about that little exercise. What are those things? Those, oh man, those are God-glorifying. These are things that are definitely anti-gospel, anti-God, unpleasing to Him. And think about those things in the center. Do any of those things have the potential or are they currently pulling you and your affection for Christ away from Christ? We tend to think that we are pretty strong. We we tend to think that we are not influenced by Christ. But the reality is we're fooling ourselves. She was a fast machine. Some of you are going, I know the next line, right? Thank you, Sue. We're going to stop there. But we have have the ability, those things do influence us. Right? 
They have a way of influencing us. And that, that in my teenage years, and I am now 50 years old, and I remember those things vividly. I remember those experiences vividly. I know how in the past those pulled me away from Christ. My affections for Christ. It pulled me away. My friends, it's real. We are deeply influenced by people. And to say that we are not influenced is just stupid. We're fooling ourselves. Paul previously wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said this, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Oh my gracious. Bad company ruins good morals. And I'll, I'll, I'll attest to it. It is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Our relationships, our influences determine our affections. Let me say that again. Our relationships and our influences determine our affections. Who do you hang out with? Who are your closest relationships? What books are you reading? What shows are you watching? Who do you follow on social media? Kids? You hear me? Because it matters. I want my own kids to understand this. Who you follow, who you are in relationship will affect your affections. All of this will influence your love for Jesus and it will affect your love for others. So don't get entangled with any influence that dampens your affection for Jesus. Friends, I, I, I know I know that we are very naive and we can be, many of you in this room are very dismissive of this. Not me. I'm stronger than this. Those things don't affect me. I just love the beat. I just love their humor. I just love reading that. I just fill in the blank. The reality is we are naive and dismissive. We think that we can be friends with anybody, that we can read and we can watch anything that we want to and it won't affect us. The reality is that is absolutely wrong. In a TED Talk, uh, John Sutherland, an, an officer from uh, London's police department, explained a principle in forensic science called Lockhart's Exchange Principle. It was developed by uh, Dr. Edmund Lockhart, who was is, who is, uh, known as Sherlock Holmes. And this principle has a very simple premise. Every contact leaves a trace. Every contact leaves a trace. In other words, every criminal leaves a trace behind him or her. One forensic put it, expert put it this way. Matt, are you kind of geeking out right now? Yeah? Okay, got it. He said this, wherever he steps, wherever, whatever he touches, whatever he leaves, even unconsciously, will serve as a silent witness against him. Not only his fingerprints or his footprints, but his hair, 
the fibers from his clothes, the glass he breaks, the paint he scratches, the blood he deposits or collects. This is evidence that does not forget. Sutherland explains how this principle applies not only just to forensic science, but he he explains how it, it impacts, affects human relationships. He said this, Every time two people come into contact with one another, an exchange takes place. Whether between lifelong friends or passing strangers. We encourage, we ignore, we hold out a hand, or we withdraw it. We walk towards or we walk away. We bless or we curse. And every single contact leaves a trace. Man, you want to talk about the impact on missional living, right? Every contact leaves a trace. So Paul is not saying to withdraw from unbelievers. If we did that, we we would have to leave this world. But he is saying to look at it carefully. To kind of sift through your influences and to be honest about what really does influence you. He wants us to be looking at who are our closest relationships and what hooks do they really have in our hearts. He wants us to look closely at the books and the articles and magazines and newspapers and internet sources that we are reading and just say, what hooks do they have in our hearts? How are they changing my mind and potentially dragging me unknowingly away from Christ? What is it that I'm allowing to enter into my mind through my eyes? What am I watching on on TV or in the theater or on TikTok? I still don't understand TikTok. But TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, they all have an influence as information is passing from our eyes into our minds and affecting our hearts. So don't fool yourself. The answer to these questions will determine the strength of your relationship with God. You can't avoid being influenced no matter how hard you try. Hang around with people who love God and you are going to grow in your love for God. If you hang around people who don't love God, your love for God will be lessened. It's true, my friends. I have seen it in our lives. If, if you read stuff that everyone read or watch stuff that everyone reads or watches, you are going to start to think and act like everyone else. You are going to become the world. Read and watch stuff that is all about Jesus, and you are going to grow in your love for Jesus. That's why I want to encourage you to get into God's Word, to read godly, recommended, good books that are tried and true. Grow in your affection for Christ. 
What comes in is going to have its way out. Uh, On a side note, that is why what we do here actually matters. That's why the writer to, uh, to the Hebrews said, do not... Do not neglect in gathering together because this gathering together actually matters. It helps us to reorient our hearts and our lives and our affections to Christ. So when you are not here, when it is just too much work to drag your butt out of bed because you've been out late last night hanging out with friends, do you know what's going to happen? Your hearts and your affections are going to be pulled away from Christ. You might not think it will, but it will. A guy named Chris Braun in his book, uh, Bound Together, wrote this. We must not live the Christian life solely as though we have an individual relationship with Christ. Rather, to experience more joy, we must be actively investing in body life. No Christian will experience true joy apart from fellowship in the body of Christ any more than an amputated finger will be healthy. That's a little vivid. But it's true. We we are bound together by the promises that we make as members of this church that we are going to be working for the peace and the purity and the unity of this church and we're going to study it and we're going to apply We're going to work together in building up the body of Christ, pointing one another to Christ. It is a necessary work that we do together. So if you see yourself solely or primarily as an individual Christian, you've got it wrong. We need each other. And I think someone here this morning needs to hear that, how important the body of Christ is in keeping you focused on Christ. Friends, we we need each other. We need each other. You withdraw yourself from regular relationships with others in the church and you will begin to lose your passion for Christ. I've seen it time and time again. Periodic Sunday here turns into two or three Sundays here or there. After a while, yeah, you know, I'm just not there anymore. I've got work I've got to do. I've got to make some cash here. Or we're going on vacation here. And it turns from one thing to another. My friends, if you start withdrawing yourself from the body of Christ, your affections for Christ will start to diminish. So we're called to guard our affections by guarding our entanglements, and our influences. So, I know some of you might not still be convinced. So Paul gives us two reasons for what he says. And here's the first one. Here's the reason why. It is because God and sin are fundamentally incompatible. That's Paul's point in verses 14 through 16. He asks five rhetorical questions. In other words, you don't have to answer this. You know the answer. What do righteousness and lawlessness have in common? Nothing. 
What, what, what kind of close relationship does light have with darkness? Um, nothing. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial or, or Satan? Nothing. What, in what ways or what part of the life of God has given, what part of the life God has given to his people does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Nothing. In what ways can God's temple and idols come into agreement? They can't. So the answer, of course, is that ultimately God and sin are incompatible. So if you are a follower of Jesus, there are all kinds of things that are now fundamentally incompatible with your allegiance to Christ. They just won't work for you anymore. You you have a completely different agenda. You have a different kind of allegiance. There's no more any kind of common ground. So does this does this text, 2 Corinthians 6:14, talk about marriage? Absolutely. Does it talk about dating? Absolutely. Does it talk about how we raise our kids and what we ex- expose them to? Absolutely. It talks about the whole of the Christian life. Does it talk about social media? Absolutely. Does it talk about the music that we listen to? Absolutely. God and sin are not compatible. So, but Paul gives us another reason for guarding our affections. And it's this. God's presence with us demands God's presence with us demands that we be holy that we are separate from the world and that we are cleansed from impurity wherever you go Paul talks about he uses this phrase Christ in me Christ in me. Wherever you go, the second that you leave this place, Christ, by His Spirit, is within you. He resides within you. The Spirit of Christ convicts you of sin. Points you to Christ. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've either watched a movie and that you remember and just thought, oh man, this is a great movie. And then all of a sudden you go, <gasps> we had that when Grace turned 16. Laura and I just thought, oh man, we need to see 16 Candles. 16 Candles, it's a great story. All of a sudden we go, what is going on? This is terrible. There's a certain amount of shame of what was going on in that movie. And there was that that point where your conscience, you suddenly feel dirty and ashamed of it because you know that something is not right. Their presence changes how you perceive things. It demanded that you somehow remove the impurity. How much more when God is present with us? 
Oh, if we could just keep that in our brains. Wherever I go, I am going with Christ. He is with me. He is within me. He is beside me. And wherever I go, I am going as his ambassador. And God's presence does demand that we be wholly separate and cleansed from impurity. You see how he concludes uh, chapter 7, verse 1? Since we have these promises, beloved, let us do what? Cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. In other words, when, when, when Paul is using that, that phrase of body and spirit, he's talking about cleanse yourself of, in, in totality, your body and your soul. He's talking about your whole self. Cleanse you from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So I'm calling us to take this seriously. I I want to conclude, though, by giving you two two actions to take. Two actions. One is more of a corrective, and one is more of a, a positive kind of action. Here's the first corrective action. Take an audit. Take an audit of your life. Who are your main relational influences in your life? Especially think of your romantic partners or your closest friends. Who are the main intellectual influences in your life? What books do you read that shape your thinking? What shows Movies and music are the main sources in your life. Who do you follow on social media? So here's the action. Pay attention. Pay attention to these things. Don't just shrug them off and act like they they won't influence you. These are the main influences that are shaping who you are. Anything that deadens our devotion to Christ is a sin. Anything that deadens our effect, even if they are good things. Don't fool yourself. You you need to give, actually give active attention to these influences in your life because those influences are not just neutral things. They are active things. They are adding to or subtracting from. Pay attention to them. But here's a corrective. So the first was just, uh, the first was your corrective. Pay attention, take an audit, look at them, be honest about them. But here's a positive action. The good news is this, that God deeply cares about you. He deeply cares about you, and He doesn't want just your obedience. He wants your affection. And isn't that not true with even those of you who are married or those of you who have deep love relationships with parents and friends? Your friends don't want just your obedience, right? They want your affection. And so 
God wants your heart. So to respond to the distorting nature of sin, you must set your affections on the beauty and the glory of God, the loveliness of Christ, and and the wonder of the gospel. You've actually got to set your mind on those things. Or as John Owen, one of the, the old Puritan divines said, were our affections filled with, taken up, and possessed with these things? In other words, setting our minds on the beauty and the power and the glory of Christ. What access could sin with its painted pleasures, with its sugared poisons, with its envenomed baits have unto our soul? If we would set our minds on Christ, these, these lesser things that are trying to bait us, will have no power. So resisting sin, according to John Owen, does not come from deadening your affections, but by awakening our affections to God Himself. Focusing on Him. So don't seek to just empty your cup as a way to avoid sin. Not just cutting out, all right, well, there goes ACDC. All right, well, there goes that relationship. All right, well, there goes that movie. All right, well, there music no don't just empty the cup as a way to avoid sin but rather seek to fill it up with the spirit of life so that there is no room for sin the call is to be filled with the spirit to enjoy christ to savor christ to have our minds filled with christ so that when sin comes a knock and we go uh-uh <laughs> You bring a terrible thing to my plate. Christ is so much more satisfying. And if you have turned, my friends, from your own self-righteousness and trusted in Christ, hear this. This is also just a, a beautiful, powerful, positive thing that we have here in Scripture. And it is starting in verse uh, 15, 16. Speaking true about what is us, I will make my dwelling among them. Think about that. And I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's like this covenantal picture of God saying, oh, we are ours. I am yours, and you are mine. But it doesn't just stop there. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Why? What's the effect? Then I will welcome you. And how will he welcome? And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me. I love it. I love that picture. The the unity of when we are in that place of enjoying God. God says, yeah, I'm welcoming you. I'm your Father. You're my children. Do you see the covenant relationship that's that's taking place here? Friends, Christianity is is a family affair. Not just earthly fathers and mothers, 
heavenly father to his children. The old preacher Charles Simeon wrote this. What astonishing words are these. I will receive you and and be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What need we care about being cast out by men if we are received by God? Think about that. You don't like me? Fine. I am received by God. Yea, if even disowned and disinherited by earthly parents, what loss do we sustain if God Himself acknowledges us as His sons and daughters and provide an inheritance for us worthy of that high relationship. Think of the sweet access which a child has to his parent, the delightful confidence he has in his love, and the full assurance that he enjoys of all suitable provision in the time of need. This, and infinitely more than this, does a believer enjoy in the presence of his God. And beyond all this, he looks forward to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, and that will not fade away. Say, believer, how small are the privations when these are thine enjoyments? How contemptible are the losses when such are the gains? Man, we think about, man, I I love that show. I love these relationships. But think of what you gain in Christ. It's far more beautiful, far more powerful, far more transformative than anything that this world can offer. So, my friends, guard your affections. Guard guard your entanglements and the influences. And may the treasure that we have in God outweigh the influences and the relationships that would draw us away from Him. May this be true of us. Amen? Let's pray.